0: Today's uh, scripture is in Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of, David, in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet from, from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the, the prophet of Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace.
1: We couldn't completely give Sean the day off. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that... You promised that when um, we gather together as believers in Jesus Christ, that your presence here is just as real as our very own. So, Father, we pray that uh, we wouldn't just feel your presence, but that we would actually feel your movement in our heart. Father, we desperately need you. We desperately need your spirit. We need you to to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you. We're so easily distracted. We're so burdened by... The realities of this world, Father, that sometimes it's very difficult to see you. So we pray this morning that you would open our eyes, so that we may see you. That you would bring light in those dark places, Father, and that you would draw us to yourself. In Christ's name, Amen. Uh, just this week, I uh, caught a television show uh, that that really captured me. As soon as I started watching it, it was. It was a television show. It was a documentary on 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 one of those music channels, and the reason it caught my attention is is they were doing a a documentary on a, on a band that I had liked really for for a long time. Uh, the band was around for twenty years, and for for probably all of its twenty years, I used to to follow this band and listen to their music, and and still do. And the documentary was full of, of interviews and, and concert footage and, and all the things that go into making a, a good documentary. But, but one of the things that I loved about watching it, and part of the reason I couldn't turn it down is, is as it went through the documentary, it gave just little snippets of their songs. And as, I, as they played these little snippets of each and every one of these songs, I was immediately transformed into a younger version of myself. I would hear certain songs and I could I could vividly remember times like there was one song that they played and I could remember my my junior year in high school and what I was doing that January and then it would go on throughout the documentary, and, and I heard another song, and I vividly remember buying that CD for the very first time in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, at a Borders bookstore, opening up the CD and playing it for the first time on my Disc Man in the bookstore, and remembering all of, of the emotions that I felt as i did this so for me i couldn't turn this documentary on because i i felt like it was a chronicle of my own life and i was remembering all these different things about my life and i think in some ways this is this is really the power that that music and song can sometimes have on us because it seems as if music in a, in a way like nothing else can imprint upon us or it captures feelings and And emotions and memories in ways that other things just can't seem to do. Well, if you've been with us this Advent, you'll know that uh, what we're doing throughout the Advent season is we're looking at the different songs of Christmas. We're not looking at Christmas carols that you'd, you'd hear on the radio, but we're looking at the actual songs of Christmas. These were songs that are recorded for us in the Scriptures that were sung or written by some of the main characters in the actual Christmas story. They wrote these songs, they they sung these songs, because it was really the only way they could capture just how they were feeling in these moments. It was the only way they could capture just how full their hearts felt at what God was doing in their midst. If you were with us last week, you, 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 were, you heard that we talked about Mary's song. A song that's called the Magnificat, which gets its name from uh, the Latin translation from, from uh, the first lines of Mary's song. And in that song, she remarks about how amazing it is that God is working this great story of redemption in her midst. But she, she also celebrates the fact that God is working in her life And in her personal story as well. This morning we're looking at a different song. This song is called uh, The Benedictus or it's called Zachariah's Song. And while Mary's song was written by a very young girl, a girl who was probably 12 or 13 years old, this song is written by an older man. It's written by Zachariah, an old priest and his wife Elizabeth. The scriptures tell us that that Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, was a cousin of Mary. And it's careful to tell us that that she was advanced in years or she was older. And it tells us that she and her husband, Zachariah, had no children because Elizabeth was barren. This would have been an incredible adversity for uh, Elizabeth to bear. In ancient cultures, often a woman's value, right or wrong, but it was the way it was, a woman's value was characterized by her ability to bear children. And not just to bear children, but to bear male children. So because Elizabeth was barren, because she was unable to have children, she would be thought of by others as under the curse of God. It would be thought that she had committed some sin in her life and because she would committed that sin, God chose to withdraw from her the ability to bear children. Either way, Elizabeth would have had to accept this as part of her story, especially because the scriptures tell us she was past the age where she had the ability to bear children. She and her husband are characterized in the scriptures as as people who were particularly devout. It says they were righteous, that they walked blamelessly before the Lord. And we know from the account that Zechariah was a priest. He was one who served in the temple. That was his entire life. And it tells us that one day he was chosen to enter into the temple... ...to burn incense in the temple. This would have been an incredible honor that he received... ...because there were literally thousands and thousands of priests in that day. But for whatever reason, this day, Zechariah's name was chosen... ...and he got to, to enter into the temple and, and burn the incense for the first time... To, ...to be involved in this incredible honor. But of course, as he goes into the temple, he gets much more than he bargained for. He's visited by an angel... And that angel tells him that he will bear a son despite the fact that he is old of age. And the angel tells him that not only is he going to bear a son, he and his wife are going to have a son, but that that son was going to be unique and special. That son was going to be the prophet, the one who would prepare the way for the Savior. Immediately, Zechariah is is full of all sorts of doubts. You see it in verse 81, or verse 18. And as a consequence of his doubts, the angel tells him that he will be silent, that he will no longer have the ability to speak until his son is born. A few weeks ago, uh, we had one of our small group gatherings here at, at City Church, and we were having a a very riveting uh, spiritual discussion. We were talking about if you had to lose one of your senses, which one would you lose? And we were hashing through what would be the hardest sense to lose. And those that were foodies in the group, those that like food, talked about how horrible it would be if they lost the sense of taste. And uh, those people that were music lovers in the group said uh, how hard it would be to, to lose the ability to hear and lose the ability to hear music. And I have to confess that as a pastor whose job it is to speak, who does a lot of speaking as part of his job, the, the, the thought of losing the ability to speak would be, would be a hard thing to bear. But for whatever reason, we know in our story that Zachariah loses the ability to speak He loses the ability to communicate. No matter how cool this story is about him experiencing the angel Gabriel, he had to keep it to himself. And for nine months, he had to do nothing but listen and reflect upon what God is doing. At the end of those nine months, the baby is born. And at his circumcision, he is given the name of John. And immediately at his circumcision, Zachariah, his, his ability to speak, returns to him. And what the scriptures tell us is, is, is instead of recounting the story of what happened, instead of speaking all sorts of things he could have said, the first thing that he chose to do was to break into song. He broke into song because this, this moment was so unique. It was so special. It was so Significant, not only because this was the first time he was able to speak over a nine-month period, but also because these were the first words he had the ability to utter as he held his newborn son in his arms. You know, I've had the privilege of of having three uh, children born and uh, being present for for every one of them as they were born. And you cannot, you cannot describe the feelings that you feel the first time you hold a child that is your own in your arms. They are, it fills you with emotions. It fills you with things that cannot be expressed in words. And that is why Zachariah breaks into song but it's a song of celebration. It's a song of celebrating not just the birth of his son, but it's a song celebrating what God is doing. And what we see in this song as we look at it is two things in particular that filled Zachariah's heart that day as he sang this song. The first thing that he celebrates is he celebrates that he serves and that we serve a God who keeps his promises. He celebrates a God who keeps his promises. I don't know if you've seen um, the, the insurance commercial that uh, has been uh, floating around on the television recently, but it's a really funny commercial. And it opens up with, with a young man who's at a party, and he's looking around at, at the party at all the attractive women that are surrounding him. And he says, I am never, ever going to get married. Guaranteed. And then the next scene shows him buying a ring. And then it it moves on to another scene where he and his now wife are on an airplane. and, And as they're on the airplane in the background, you can see, you can hear a little baby screaming in the background. And they look at one another and they said, we are never, ever, ever having kids. And then the next scene shows the wife in labor. It's followed after that by another scene where they're sitting in a New York loft with with their little baby. And they say, we are never, ever, ever moving to the suburbs. And then in the next scene, you see him clipping the hedges in front of his suburban home. As he's clipping the hedges in front of his suburban home, he looks out on the street and he sees a family in a minivan And he looks at his wife and he says, we will never, ever, ever buy a minivan. And then the commercial ends with him washing his minivan. And we laugh at this because the commercial tells us that, and this is so true, that we live in a culture that is not always very good at keeping our promises, especially when it comes to the minivan thing. We live in a culture that just isn't very good at keeping promises. Politicians make promises and and most of them, when they make those promises, most of us don't ever believe them anymore. Coaches of athletic programs bring uh, those athletic programs to a great place and say, I'm never going to leave. And then the next breath you hear reports about them leaving. We have friends that Promise to stick by us thick and thin, but then as soon as our lives become difficult, they are nowhere to be found. You see, because we live in a culture that's not really good at keeping promises, we've often eroded our sense of trust in things and in people as well. You can see it because we live in a culture that's full of contracts and lawyers, and all that is because we just don't trust people anymore. And what often becomes danger about this is when we transfer this when it comes to our relationship with God. We sometimes sit and wonder, is God just as flaky as everyone else in this world is about? Well, Zechariah's song really answers that for us. Because it is a celebration. It is a celebration that no matter how many broken promises we experience... Here on this earth, it is a celebration that God is one who keeps his promises. You see, the song is full of all sorts of pictures from the Old Testament. It's full of all sorts of references and illustrations. And if you read the Old Testament at all, you see that it starts out with God creating the world. And he says at the very end of creating the world that everything is good. But you also read that it didn't stay good for very long. And in Genesis chapter 3, we we see mankind falling and sin entering into this world. But almost immediately, right after sin entered the world, almost immediately, God begins to make promises. And His promises say that at one point, He is going to come and make right all the things that have gone wrong in this world. The estrangement that we receive because we are sinners will at some point come and be fixed. The fact that we are cut off from God, cut off from the only true source of life, at some point God will come and fix it. The condemnation that we all feel and deserve because of our sin, God at some point will come and offer a rescue. But what God reminds us is that rescue doesn't come from within us. Instead, it must come from some other way. And what Zechariah remarks all throughout his song is that God is one who keeps his promises. He reflects on the fact that God confirmed his promises to Abraham later in the Old Testament. He talks about the promise of salvation that God confirmed to King David. He talked about the promise of mercy and deliverance that God confirmed through the prophets all throughout the Old Testament history. And what he reflects on is that every confirmation of those promises all throughout the Old Testament gave us hints. It gave us hints that God is going to come and rescue all of humanity. And it, almost like a picture becoming more and more clear, gives us hints as to how God is going to do that at one point. And one of those details said that, bef- that, that before the rescuer would come, before the Savior would come, a great prophet would come first. And that prophet would prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah is amazed when he realizes that his son was going to be that great prophet. He celebrates the fact that his son is the prophet and that his son would play a unique role in this great story of redemption. But the song, ironically enough, isn't so much about Zechariah's son. Instead, it's more about the person that will come after his son. Because Zechariah is celebrating that God is about to make good on all those promises. That he has made. You see, it's a lot like Mary's song where Zachariah celebrates that 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 right about this time, the climax of God's story of redemption is gonna happen. But it also is very personal for Zechariah as well. You see, personally, he'd given up believing that he was able to have a son. He and his wife were just too old. It wasn't going to happen. And even when the angel Gabriel told him he was going to have a son, he doubted. But now, nine months later, he was celebrating. He was celebrating because holding in his arms was a precious eight-day-old baby that was squealing and crying and making lots of noise. You know, every child is a miracle, I've walked away from every one of my children being born, uh, just remarking at how miraculous the birth of children really are. But for Zachariah, the birth of this child was not just a miracle, but it was a symbol to him that God is one who keeps his promises. You know, the New Testament tells us that for those who are in Christ, for those that are in a relationship with him, those who by faith have trusted in him for their rescue, God makes very bold promises. He says that he will never leave you. He will never walk away from you. It says he will never let you go. It says he will forgive you of all your sins and your missteps. He will never hold those sins against you again. He promises to to provide for you in such a way that takes away all worry. He promises to bless you and to help you with your burdens. He promises to give you peace and rest. He promises to comfort you in your distress. He promises to give you eternal life and to one day wipe away all the tears that you have. And we can celebrate, along with Zechariah that we serve a God who keeps his promises. He is one who is worthy of our trust. But we also see that that Zachariah not only celebrates that God is one who keeps his promises, but he also celebrates that a new day is dawning. Uh, Last week for Thanksgiving, uh, my wife and I, with our kids, traveled to uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina. It's one of the things that we do uh, every year for Thanksgiving. We we enjoy it. And one of our favorite places to go uh, whenever we go to the Outer Banks is this place called Jockey's Ridge. And the only way I can really describe Jockey's Ridge is to is to call it not just sand dunes, but, but really sand mountains. I mean, it's the it's the largest sand dunes on the East Coast, and it's a it's a 426 uh, acre park, and you can roam around it forever. And uh, I think I think I heard them say that uh, there's 30 million tons of sand. That make up these sand dunes it 's enough to to fill up uh, six million uh, dump trucks full of sand, so it 's this incredibly massive place and and as you climb up to the very top, it takes a while to get to the top, but as you climb up to the very top, you can you can look in, in one direction and see for miles and miles out into the Atlantic Ocean and then you can turn around and look at the other direction and, and look for miles and miles out into uh, the Roanoke Sound. And it's, it's such a beautiful place. And every year, we climb up to the top of this sand mountain and we look at each other and we say, we really should get up and come and watch a sunset one day. Now, we've never done it. We probably never will do it. But we can at least imagine how beautiful it would be on some early morning as we wake up and see the first Sunshine come across the ocean and pierce throughout the darkness. You know, Zechariah, when he gazed into this baby that he was holding in his arms, said these powerful words. He said, "And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High." And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun's rise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, what makes a sunrise so beautiful and so powerful is the potentiality that it holds. It gives birth to a new day that is full of all sorts of unknowns and, and full of great potential for interesting things to happen. And what Zechariah is singing in his song here is that the sun is now rising. But he's saying that, that this sunrise is not like any other sunrise that we've seen before. This is a sunrise that comes comes from the hand of God himself. Because this sunrise will change everything. It will bring that ultimate light that will pierce through the darkness. It will bring victory over death. It will provide a path of peace. And what he reflects on is that it will provide a path of peace, ultimately because Jesus himself... Will walk through the very valley of the shadow of death on our behalf. You see, Zacharias was, Zachariah was no religious novice. He was a faithful follower of God, and his entire life was centered around the worship of God as a priest. And even he knew that now, with the birth of his son and eventually the birth of Jesus, that everything was about to change. He recognized that the climax of God's great rescue plan was about to be executed in reality. David Brooks is is one of my favorite uh, authors to read. He writes um, an opinion piece in uh, the New York Times. And uh, interestingly enough, he uh, comes from a faith tradition and tends to write a lot about culture uh, from the perspective of faith traditions, and he writes really beautiful things. and And one of uh, his most popular topics that he tackles about our culture is the incredible ambition and drive that comes in our modern culture. He talks about the ambition that that many of us have to succeed at all costs, to to excel, to be well thought of by others, and and to be well respected, and to to really conquer the world through our achievements. But one of the things that he argues is that all those things are simply fruit. They are are simply the fruit of something that is deeper inside of us. They are the fruit of a spiritual longing that is at our deepest, most core element of our being. Longing that we can't just seem to satisfy. You see, what Zachariah does in his entire song is he talks about that spiritual longing. He talks about the spiritual longing that has characterized history all up until this point. He characterizes that longing even in his own heart. The longings that he feels at the core element of his being. But what he does is he celebrates that those longings are about to be satisfied. He celebrates that a new day has dawned. It's not only dawned in human history, but it's about to dawn in his own heart as well. Because his son was going to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, the Savior. And he recognized that Jesus would be the one that would show us the way to the Father. He would be the one that would shine light, in the, that would pierce the darkness. He would be the one that would bring out the new day. He would be the way to find peace with the Father and to find peace in life. One person wrote this, The only road to righteousness and peace, even for a righteous man like Zechariah is to be prepared to see the light and to follow it. The text raises the question and answers it with notes of praise. See the morning star Jesus and follow the light in the way of peace. You know, as we reflect on, on Zachariah's song, as we reflect on, on the Advent season and, and what it means to us, not just Christmas, but but the whole season of Advent, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is our heart prepared to see the light? Because my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us, is that we would see Jesus as the one who perfectly fulfills God's promise. And my prayer for all of us is that a new day would dawn in our hearts this Advent season as we see Jesus maybe for the first time or maybe for the millionth time and we see that he pierces the light in the darkness of our hearts and brings a new day into our lives.